Hi, welcome to Death and Desserts, where we discuss the dark, disturbing, and beautiful elements of death whilst eating dessert. I'm Zaria. And I'm Senna. And today we are interviewing Adrian. And today's dessert are breakfast cookies, is how Gray described them. If you'd like to see what we're eating, check out our Instagram at Death and Desserts Podcast. I don't even know if Gray has an Instagram to tag. My son's partner made these cookies, <laughs> so... I, I don't know if he has any way for us to uh, tag him. I'm going to try the blackberry one first. They, they are oatmeal, blackberry, strawberry, and lemon zest. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're way softer than they look. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you tell it's oatmeal, but it's got a good flavor. Mm-hmm. I do get the lemon as an aftertaste, which I kind of enjoy. Instead mm-hmm. of, like, lemon in your face. No, it's very subtle, but it's good. Thank you for your input, ma'am. You don't need cookies. Hecate is introducing herself to our guest. Hey, buddy. <laughs> who is my nephew, Adrian. Hello. And we'll be talking with him in just a second. But first, I have a little bit of death news slash trivia. You remember Beth, the previous interview, who is a hospice nurse. Right? No, palliative care nurse. Right, I always call her a hospice nurse. And that is not what she is. Palliative <laughs> care. Mm-hmm. She shared an article called A Natural Death May Be Preferable for Many to Enduring CPR. It talks about an instance where a nurse at a senior living care facility would not administer CPR to a patient who had died and the like 911 dispatcher was like pleading with this person and saying is there anyone else that's willing to help this woman and and not let her die first of all she is helping the woman in the end because CPR is very hard especially on elderly people it really is and that is what the article goes on to talk about and it also talks about the efficacy of CPR which i did not know not great. There was a study done watching all manner of television movies where CPR is demonstrated because that's how any of us know anything about CPR really is watching TV. And it's successful 70% of the time in filmed entertainment. Therefore, people think that it's successful in real life 75% of the time. Guess how often it's actually effective and people survive like 50 40 lower 20 lower are you shitting me 17 percent oh my god yeah (laughs) and the older they are the less likely it is to be any kind of help so then why would you do cpr on one of these people well i personally wouldn't after reading this article (laughs) and i think that's what like i'm not an investigation happened for this employee, but I don't think the family had any problem with what this person did mm-hmm. because luckily there was a, like a living will or something like that. And I believe there was a DNR. Right. This is why DNRs exist. Mm-hmm. But yeah, CPR can be very damaging. You can break ribs. You can puncture lung- lungs with those broken ribs. You can bruise all manner of internal organs, including the heart that you're trying to keep pumping. And the one thing that I was like, well, yeah, obviously, is the amount of brain damage a person would have should they survive. Especially, again, the older they are, 
the more traumatic the brain injury from lack of oxygen and blood. So For something that has, if you're in that age range, probably less than 10% chance of working yeah. anyway. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, me neither. Now I, I know. And, and it's funny, in hospital, CPR is less effective than bystander CPR. Yeah, I, I don't know why that is. I think it's because they've already tried everything at the hospital. So, of course, that's, a that's good, like yeah. a last-ditch effort. Whereas if it's something, you know, out on the street. Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But, yeah, that's fascinating. And I'm very grateful for that article and knowing that so that I don't fuck up somebody's day and make them live when they don't want to. Like, a lot of people receive CPR and they're like, I wish you'd just let me go. Mm-hmm. So, oh, you really liked those cookies. They were good. <laughs> uh, I liked them. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so, uh, I want to get our content warning out of the way today. Um, we are anticipating that some of our listeners may feel distressed by the content that we're covering today, especially for those of you in our LGBTQ family. Um, today's material may include a variety of topics, including references to assault, physical, emotional, verbal abuse, self-harm, suicide, and violence and trauma connected to homophobia and transphobia. Um, We want to remind you to take care of yourself and each other, and if any of these topics in today's episode overwhelm you, please either skip it altogether or come back to it when you're feeling in a better headspace to hear it. Word. So, originally, you and I had talked about how we wanted to talk about LGBTQ people in the death industry. We had found some resources on, like, gay-friendly funeral directors and resources, like, legal strategies to make sure that a person's family couldn't shove them back in the closet at their Mm -hmm. death and whatnot. Yeah, we're still going to cover that, just not today. (laughs) Exactly. So, while that's definitely something that we're going to cover and that is important to talk about, we kind of felt like it would be irresponsible if we missed this opportunity to talk about the LGBTQ mental health crisis in this country right now. As always, our podcast especially has the priority and always will of trying to support the efforts to get our LGBTQ people to an advanced stage in a natural death rather than a more hopeless one. So I'm going to get some depressing statistics out of the way and then we'll chat with you. Then we'll get to the interview. (laughs) So, in 2021, 42% of high school students reported that they'd experienced persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness, which was something like 50% increased from 2011. And then 69% of those were LGBTQ students who had the same persistent feelings of hopelessness and sadness. And at that point, 10% of that 69% reported an uh, attempt of suicide. So at that point, the CDC released a statement that more than one in four LGBTQ youth had attempted suicide in the first half of 2021. One in four. One in four. That was from 2021. We have the 2023 U.S. National Survey on Mental Health of LGBTQ Youth by the Trevor Project. And their numbers show a disturbing trend higher than 2021. So... According to their survey, 41% of the LGBTQ youth had seriously considered attempting suicide in the past year, 
with 14% of those making a serious attempt. Of course, transgender and non-binary youth and youth of color had higher numbers across the board on all of that. Mm -hmm. And 40% of those surveyed reported that their home was LGBTQ affirming, and so they had a slight decrease if their home life was good and that they had supportive parents and schools. But it still wasn't everything. No, absolutely not. So one in three of the youth surveyed said that most of their mental health was related to current LGBTQ policies and advancing legislation. And two in three of those same youth said that hearing about potential state and local bans like Don't Say Gay made their mental health far worse. And so I want to talk about the Don't Say Gay thing just briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you aren't aware somehow, Florida has passed four anti-LGBTQ laws this year so far. And Four in one year. Yeah, and two of those are becoming effective uh, like June 3rd or something, like it's this week. So it, That's just rude that it's effective in Pride Month. It's real. <laughs> it's fucked up that it's happening at all. I but, know, but just uh, right. rub salt in the wound. In my Pride Month? Right? Exactly. <laughs> Not fair. So SB 254 bans gender-affirming care for those under 18. Doctors and nurses can now be charged with a crime if they provide care to people under 18. Florida courts can retain emergency jurisdiction over a child receiving anything considered gender-affirming care. And non-custodial parents can get custody in order to detransition minors. And to be clear, this is care. This is not just surgeries. This is anything care. within the journey. Yes. Like therapy, counseling, hormone replacement, stuff like that. They leave it vague on purpose. Yep. Yes. Yes, they do. And nurses can't provide gender-affirming care to anyone regardless of age. So it's not just children, but also adults. Nurses can't do that without charges. SB 1438 is the protection of children law. Minors cannot attend adult live performances, which is hugely broad, but DeSantis, the shithead, literally just said he was broadly mainly targeting drag shows, but adult live performances could be so much bigger than that. Mm -hmm. Um, HB 1521 is a law regarding facility requirements based on sex. Trans people are not allowed to use the bathroom consistent with their gender identity anymore. And people can be arrested for using a bathroom that matches their gender identity. And finally, HB 1069 is the education law that will be effective in July. And that expanded the don't say gay law so that any LGBTQ curriculum is banned from pre-K to 8th grade and no school employee or contractor is allowed to share their pronouns or even mention pronouns. Pronouns. That's so... I'm sorry, but you, you have to teach pronouns in English Everybody's class. Everybody's got them. Right? I mean, right? The sex education can only be heterosexual, binary, and exactly to the approved curriculum. So, discrim- so, with all of that depressing shit in mind, a whopping 81% of LGBTQ youth surveyed from the Trevor Project said that they had wanted mental health care and 56% wanted the health care but could not receive it. That's a lot of kids not getting help that they need desperately. Mm -hmm. So that is why I'm boycotting Florida. Fuck Florida. Like, fuck Florida super bad. And the way that we've seen everything 
escalate with like Roe versus Wade and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like it'll take a nanosecond for all of these. Oh yeah, everybody else is gonna follow. Right. Including North Carolina, which really sucks. Which is where you come in, Adrian. Hi. <laughs> Adrian is a trans youth that lives in North Carolina. Wowee. <laughs> <laughs> He's also my nephew. So I have some questions. Awesome. Do you want to introduce yourself? I'm a guy who lives in North Carolina, going to college this year, you know, about to graduate from high school, uh, going way up north. Congratulations. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, I've been very queer my whole life, so. (laughs) Yep, yep. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that was my first question. Excellent. Is how long have you been... Specifically on your transition Mm. journey, but Mm. you can start wherever you want. Right. So, in fourth grade, I asked my mom for a quote-unquote boy haircut. (laughs) Yep. Which was, in her eyes, a pixie cut. I I love her so much. (laughs) She learned, but, Mm. like, you know, it was cute for a while. And then, how old are you in fourth grade? Like, nine? Mm. I don't know. Anyway, later on, middle school... Uh, 13, uh, I came out to my parents, um, it was a little rocky at first, but, um, I've got their full support from both sides now, and as far as I know, the majority of my family has also been very, like, inclusive about it too, which is nice. As far as I know as well. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I've, five years out publicly. Mm-hmm. And then, like, maybe, like, six or so on my own time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So you're 17. I'm 18. You are 18. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's good. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> because I know you're getting your top surgery yep, yep. soon. That's exciting. I'm my really excited about that. My appointment is tomorrow. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, yay. <laughs> so I'm going to be leaving school for it. <laughs> oh, even more fun. Getting out of school yep. for... Absolutely. Oh, so I'm, you're just like super excited oh, about yes, that. Oh yes, I am so excited. They're going to tell me all the money I need to pay. <laughs> right? Um, we will be including your GoFundMe in the oh, show notes. that would be excellent. Thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> so before you came out to your parents mm-hmm. and you didn't know how they would react, mm-hmm. or even after you came out to your parents, did your gender identity dysmorphia start with depression? Did your sexual orientation mm-hmm. identity start with depression? So here's su- a super fun thing okay. that like I've had to learn in therapy. So I was an angry kid. I was. I remember you having an attitude. I was so <laughs> I was so up and about like all the time. I was angry at everything. <laughs> I was very. I had a lot of rage as a child, <laughs> but you know, and as I started going by what made me feel good, I became a lot happier person. Even, so like even before I understood what transgender people were and, you know, before I was even introduced to that world, I was an unhappy human being. And, you know, obviously there's the staple, like I would not wear dresses. I would refuse them outright. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, you know, like there were, I'm sure there's plenty of stuff that my parents could pick out and be like, yeah, there's the there's the sign. There's another yeah. sign. <laughs> yeah, we there were clues. Yeah, and then you know learned about it in middle school, and you know like obviously before 
my transness happened, well, it's been happening, but, you know, like, before I was aware of it, my parents came up to me one day and were like, are you gay? <laughs> Just like that. Yeah, they asked me. Oh, that's <laughs> great. It, it's very sweet of them because, yes. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, oh, my God, is it that obvious? <laughs> so when I came out, when I came out to them, it was, like, kind of easy because we'd already had that first, like, discussion right so (laughs) so step one gayness yeah by the way it goes further i'm also come out to them like four times now (laughs) just step by step yeah yeah (laughs) that's interesting so you know it's really fascinating how deep it goes because you don't notice that you're trans and you're angry and sad and whatever and then you do and then you start living as yourself and you feel better just like that. Yeah. Uh, I'm a very happy person now. <laughs> I have noticed. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, you know, therapy is great. I recommend it to everybody. Mwah. Therapy, amazing. Yes. Uh, and a, lot, a, a huge part of my growth as a person is attributed to that. But I would still be miserable if I were unaware of who I was. Awesome. All right. Have you or someone that you know ever had to utilize the uh, Trevor Project hotline or any, like, emergency outreach? So we haven't typically, like, turned to emergency hotlines because, A, sometimes they aren't super-duper reliable. Like, especially, like, nowadays, they're kind of, like, dropping the ball a little bit. So, like, do your research about your hotlines first before you go and call them because sometimes they make it worse. Because they, depending on, like, the National Suicide Hotline has gone really downhill. And Mm. I would highly recommend do some research about what hotlines are probably good to use and which ones are not. Because, you know. Okay, well, that's research (laughs) we're going to have to do, too. Because I was just going to link to everything, (laughs) but now I'm not. (laughs) So, they're supposed to be helpful, but sometimes they're not. But, um... Usually whenever there's a crisis, um, I either go to my parents or I go to someone at school who I can trust. Um, you know, I've never personally been that close to doing anything to myself that I needed a hotline. And, you know, anybody who I know that was like that lives too far away for me to be able to do anything. So it was more like me and my buds hanging out and talking about it with each other because, you know, it's great to, it, it, it works differently for different people, but you know, sometimes calling a stranger is nice, but it can also be really helpful to call someone, you know, and hang out with someone, you know, isn't going to like make fun of you or, you know, give up on you, which is, a big thing that the hotlines struggle with that I've heard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So reaching out to people that you care about has been the most helpful thing in my experience. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good to know. Good to know. What stories of transgender folks experiencing mm-hmm. mental health crises and suicidal thoughts or completing suicide mm-hmm. that you have seen in the media or that have circled around Mm -hmm. uh, your social circles, what stories have stood out to you or impacted you? I 
don't do a lot of in-depth research into a lot of them because it's very personal to me and it's hard to look at you know my community having those kind of issues like recently I did learn about a trans woman in a Middle Eastern country I forget which one Uh, her name is Eden and she came to America and was living as herself and I forget the details so I'm gonna like try not to say anything like too like this is how it was but you know there were these people who her parents hired to like manipulate her into moving back to their home country and detransition oh no yeah and so she ended up being forced to detransition and eventually committed suicide because she was just it was just so awful so you know that's just like one of the names in the okay. sea of them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I actually had that thought when I was writing down my questions mm-hmm. when I wrote the Trevor Project. I was like, "Do you even know where that came from?" Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, there's stories everywhere. Mm-hmm. I remember, God, I want to say it was the '90s, like when No Doubt came out. There was an article, a story in the Rolling Stone about a trans girl that was the victim of a hate crime. Unfortunately, I don't remember her name, so I will be looking that up. <laughs> I know it was Gwen something because she named herself after Gwen Stefani. <laughs> that story mm-hmm. always stuck with me. And that was like from a long, long time oh, yeah. ago. <laughs> so you, you somewhat answered this question. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask, since starting your journey, have you met other transgender people that are experiencing depression and anger that have led to self-harm. Of course. I mean, I feel like that's par for the course. (laughs) Unfortunately, is that if you, you know, welcome to our community, uh, you're going to have to deal with a lot. (laughs) And, you know, like every single one that I've met, uh, one of us that I've met has had some sort of mental health issue. And quite a few of them have struggled with self-harm and suicidal ideation. Um, You know, when I was in middle school, I had those issues too. Um, You know, therapy is great. (laughs) Therapy is great. But, you know, a lot of people don't have access to it. So a lot of queer people end up having to deal with their issues themselves. Have you lost anyone to completing suicide? I can't say that I know of anyone, but I'm sure there have been people that I've grown apart from, um, because it's unfortunately very prevalent. Well, dang, you've kind of already answered this one, too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was going to say, again, congratulations that your top surgery is this month. Thank you. And um, how do you hope that it will continue to impact your mental health? So, I think any person with boobs knows... That they are heavy. They are. They are. They cause back pain, and they're uncomfortable, and you can get cancer in them. So I think they. I personally am going to do away with mine. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I do not bind anymore. Uh, binding is the putting on stuff to compress your chest, and mm-hmm. I used to a lot because you know I was deep in my stuff and. Binding made me feel more at home in my body, and 
you know, I don't do that anymore because it causes me too much physical pain. I like breathing. It's something that I would like to continue doing. Word. <laughs> so I don't bind anymore. And, you know, I still, I wear baggy shirts because of it. And sometimes I wear undershirts to help flatten it out a little bit. But, you know, like, I get jealous of my brother because he walks around the house without a shirt on. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, that could be me. No, will be. It will be me. <laughs> And then it'll be over for you. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> so, you know, I'm very excited to be able to truly embrace the world without titties. <laughs> Word! <laughs> God, that sounded so damn affirming! <laughs> oh. Do you, because of the laws that are happening yep. in this country and fucking North Carolina jumping on the wet bandwagon, do you feel a sense of urgency to get it done or? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, it's already more expensive to get top surgery than it is to get, like, to be a woman needing, like, some sort of surgery to remove breasts mm-hmm. because it's, you know, if you're trans, we want more money from you. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Or maybe they're considering it elective. Yeah, as opposed and it's to... not typically considered like necessary healthcare because I don't have any diseases in these. Right. But you know, they give me mental diseases. Exactly. <laughs> I I think they should be con. Yeah. It should be considered. They should be considered, but typically they're not. So that's more expensive. And, you know, luckily, I'm going to college way up north. It's kind of purple in Wisconsin, but Milwaukee, where I'm going, is um, very blue. So I will be able to live as myself and get my prescriptions and stuff like that. So that'll be nice. And, you know. Will you be getting any... Um, like after post-surgery care up there or down here? Uh, probably we'll be getting like some physical therapy up there because you have to, they cut into muscles. So you have Mm. to like rebuild that up and stuff. Um, so that'll be fun. Owie, but it's worth it. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, uh, I will still be, I'll probably be doing a lot of my therapy online because I don't want to find a new therapist. Uh, when mine is so good. Right. Thanks, Kelly. <laughs> Shout out to Kelly. Yeah. Speaking of going up north, how often do you and your family consider moving back up north because of the way it is down here right now? We're honestly, like, we don't consider it that much because housing is already kind of like a... And all our family is here. So, you know, like, it's, it's why I hesitate to leave North Carolina in the first place is because all y'all are here. And you guys are great. <laughs> so, you Do you know. think if, like, one of one part of the family moved, we'd all follow? Because that's what happened to get us down here. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I think if Grimala could have a, a place that is similar to her home, where it's, like, mountainous and green and foresty and all that stuff, possibly... Unfortunately, Wisconsin is very flat. <laughs> right. And right. most of northern area is very flat. Yeah. So I, I maybe, <laughs> I would love to take you guys with me. <laughs> right. I've never set foot in Wisconsin, but yeah. we discuss all the time. Right. Zaria has mm-hmm. backup plans for different places <laughs> they're moving to. And Real. I just, everywhere that is sane happens to be cold. Which is my favorite. I love cold weather. Well, then you're going to thrive in Wisconsin. Yay. I mean, it's, 
super north up there, and yep. you're going to get lake effect snow. Yes. Like, that's gonna be so whole much package. Fun. Luckily, I do not need to drive to college, so I'll, I'll just be able to, like, walk down the street and it'll be there. So, yay. Uh, <laughs> won't have to deal with that. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. And my last question. Awesome. Do you have anything that you would like to say to anyone listening to this episode that might be thinking of a transition journey? For sure. Fucking go for it. <laughs> like, find your people who will uh, support you during it. Like, you know, you are your best judge of who is safe and who is not. If you've got supportive family, utilize them a lot. Because, you know, if you've got people in your family who will support you, you are unfortunately in a place of privilege. So use that resource and use that privilege to help other transgender individuals uh, and non-binary folks that you know. You know, like, somebody needs a place to crash and your house is safe, then make sure they know that. If you don't have um, family who are going to support you on your journey, get adopted by one of your friends. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have so many buddies who don't have good parents, so... My parents are their parents, you know, not legally, but right. <laughs> in spirit. And my house is a safe space, so that's like an invaluable resource to people who don't have it. But yeah, uh, do your research too. Um, get good insurance, which is easier said than done. But Especially in this country? Yep. <laughs> insurance is great is the difference of $4,000 in my top surgery. Right. <laughs> so, insurance, good people, and uh, just take care of yourself, you know? You deal with a lot. You know, there's a lot of pressure online to, like, be either, like, a martyr or be a voice. And, you know, I don't recommend dying for your cause. It's probably not super worth it. But, you know, your voice is important, and if you can use it, I do recommend it. But you, as a gender nonconforming person, do not owe anybody anything. Your allies are here to amplify your voice, so don't lose your voice by screaming it wrong, basically. Right? Self-care. Self-care. <laughs> so good. Salt bath. Mm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> All right. Well, I dream. Thank yeah. you for coming out and 100%. speaking with us. Yeah. And for such a heavy topic, mm -hmm. you are definitely a little beacon of hope, oh, child. Thank you. you are. I appreciate it. You're just sunlight <laughs> in a person with green and blue hair. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> you know, it's easy to be like, oh, God, my life sucks, because sometimes it does. I'm not going to deny that. But, you know, it's also great. I love being trans. I love being who I am. You know, I've probably never been so excited about being myself you know even with all the garbage and legislation in the world it is so lovely to be me in a world that doesn't want me to be it's fulfilling you know <laughs> it's like if you can do one thing it's like the world doesn't want me here but I'm going to do it anyway because I don't care what you think exactly that's beautiful that's beautiful <laughs> real <laughs> And it, and it really also speaks to how having a supportive family can can turn people 100%. into radiant Adrian. Right? Like, <laughs> you're the poster child of good parenting for a transgender child. I appreciate child. it, yes. 
I mean, not to give all the credit to your parents, because you've I done know. this work. <laughs> but, y'all, this is what happens when you treat your child yep. with respect and love and dignity. Crazy what happens <laughs> they when, thrive. You're, when you, like, support your child. <laughs> they might, like, be happy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we will be posting, like we said, Adrian's GoFundMe. Give me money, please. I love you. We're definitely going to do that. Any other announcements? After I do some research, I will be posting hotlines and resources. Not just emergency stuff, but for people to find their people. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because that's your whole message is to just find your people. Find your support Mm -hmm. system. So you know, it's you know, you can only romanticize being the lone wolf for so long. (laughs) Right. Right. In two weeks we Mm -hmm. can do queer folk in death care. Because that it kind of fascinates me, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially after that picture. Mm-hmm. As always, you can find us at Instagram at Death and Desserts Podcast, TikTok at Death and Desserts, and Facebook at Death and Desserts Podcast. All our links, including our website, are available in our Instagram bio. And like Sana said, join us in two weeks when we discuss LGBTQ people in the death industry. And remember, life is short. Have dessert. Yeah. <laughs>